Hi, this is Andy. I have a special offer for loyal listeners of Accelerate. It's a no-obligation, free trial of my zero-time-selling, interactive online training. Now, I've worked with thousands of sales reps to teach them how to use my zero-time-selling to boost their productivity and transform the results. And so if you want to learn the same proven strategies to help you open more doors, have more effective sales conversations with prospects, and close more orders, then my zero-time-selling interactive training system is a fit for you. It's incredibly simple to start. Just take out your smartphone and text the word TRUST, that's T-R-U-S-T, to 96000. Now, do you have your phone ready? Send a text to 96000. That's a nine and a six followed by three zeros. Now, enter the single word message TRUST and hit send, and you hear right back from me with instructions on how to sign up for your free trial on my zero-time-selling interactive training. I look forward to seeing you there. It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to the show. I am amped up today to talk with my guest, Nancy Blakey author of a great book, Conversations That Sell. She's a coach, a speaker, a consultant, a Wisconsin native. We always like Wisconsin natives, right, Nancy? We sure do. We sure do. You know, there's a word that's showing up more and more in writing about sales, and that word is conversation. Maybe the second one is collaboration. We hear both those increasingly. You know, the great thing about conversation is it's much more collaborative than saying a sales call or a sales presentation. And things, you know, presentations of pitches, those are all about the sales rep, and not about the customer. And conversations are about building that relationship and developing the trust that's essential to winning orders and accelerating your sales. And Nancy's here today to talk to us about sales conversations that sell. So, Nancy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. That's my pleasure. So, always, always enjoy talking to you. I said Wisconsin natives, both of us here, you still reside there. I get back occasionally for visits and... You know, it's funny, the last time we were there, I may have told you the story once before, last time we were there, my wife had never been there, and we visit Madison, which is a gorgeous town where I'm from, and she's a New York City native, and she was just taken by Madison. Oh. So, yeah, she got a big, big Midwestern fan there. So, well, take a minute, introduce yourself, tell people what you do. I help companies grow, and we do that by making sure we have the right people doing the right things at the right time. And centered around having the three conversations that when they're happening productively within a company, a company grows. And that's the sales conversation that brings in the business, the service conversation that keeps the business and customers happy, and the coaching conversation that keeps all the employees engaged and performing at top level. I call it the trifecta of conversations that growing companies have in place and doing well. Okay. So you had to learn this somehow. So how did you get your start in sales? Where did you start learning all of this? Well, I started learning all of this really back when I was young um, and uh, selling door-to-door potatoes. (laughs) Wait, wait. I love this. Potatoes, door-to-door. That's the first. So I lived in in, uh, rural you know, Wisconsin, and uh, we weren't farmers, but all of our neighbors were. And at the end of the seasons, there were what we called the leftovers in the fields. Sure. So 
I was from a large family and uh, us kids were always looking for ways to make money because there was this rural country store. And, uh, and so we realized that in, a, in our neighborhood, there were lots of moms at home without vehicles all day and they liked door-to-door produce sellers. <laughs> and so we picked up leftover potatoes and cabbage and sold door-to-door and with, you know, and then going forward, you know, school contests and all of that. And then something happened in college. I got turned off of sales. Because? Well, a lot of different reasons, but I realized so much of it was from uh, my family saying, you know, you're, you don't go to college and go to sales. You know, anybody, you know, oh. is a salesman. And it was this negative connotation right. about selling. That's exactly. the thing. That's the thing you do if you have nothing else to do, right? Exactly. If you if you're not smart enough and you can't get another job, then you go into sales. Exactly. Yeah, and so I wouldn't even look at a sales job, you know. And instead, you know, I went into personnel, which is now HR. And you talk about a sales job. Oh my goodness, you're selling the company to hire people. You're selling policies. You're selling compliance. I mean, it was totally sales. But about six or seven years into my career. I, I had the opportunity to be mentored by somebody, um, and and even in the HR training field at that time, he got me very interested in selling. And within two years, I was you know hiring the national sales force, setting compensation, field riding, and then I moved into sales, which nobody could believe I would do. But I was like, this is an awesome career that I have way more control over my compensation than I do doing anything else. Yes, but you went so, to the dark side of the force. I Oh, did I go to the dark side? And you know what? I've loved it ever since. Um, and with hiring people and managing people in sales um, for 19 years now, I've, I've actually then helped other companies to improve their sales performance. God, so you've been... so I, I call myself the initial reluctant salesperson, <laughs> which a lot of people are. Oh, I think... I think most people are. There are very few people, I think, that really take to it naturally. I mean, obviously, there's some people do, but yeah, most people I know <laughs> had experiences like mine where my first sales job, I was, I don't know, sitting at a car staring at planes take off and land at a major airport <laughs> about halfway through the day going, why am I doing this? You know, why am I out there making 20, 30 call calls on people that don't want to talk to me? What were you selling? I sold, uh, my first job, I sold desktop adding machines oh jeez yeah that's that, a, that was that's a tough that, job that's that was a tough a, job well it's a tough job at a time when you could buy a small calculator for about a third no not a third a fifth of the price at mm. your your local office supply store so yeah it was sort of the dying embers of this company that was a big computer company Burroughs that mm. you earned your stripes by selling small little stuff before they trained you to go sell big stuff but we were out walking the streets, business parks. You know, I'd go park my car and make dozens of cold calls in a day. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think anybody really, really likes that. And no. Well, and I think that so many um, people are discouraged from going into sales like I like I was. And, and just this week um, at a, a meeting that I was holding, I asked people, you know, how many of you chose a career in sales? And two out of 30 raised their hands. 
yeah. you know, people usually end up in sales. <laughs> you know, they, they, they don't choose it. And, and I'm actually working with two universities in Wisconsin to try to help change that in the college, you know, and, and you know, so many, I think over 80 universities now have sales programs. And right. that's way different. I mean, just in the last five years, that's exploded. Yeah, it's exploded. Yeah, lots of lots of universities out there offering curriculum for people to get a certification or something in sales, which is, is great because yeah. it changes the perspective, I think, of people coming out of out of school that uh, it's, you know, they can look at it from a positive standpoint as opposed to the court of last resort. And they can get trained in it to do it well and then maybe not have those rough couple of years most of us had. Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I guess, to me, the, the value of some of the academic programs are they at least expose people to what they're going to be exposed to when they when they are in sales. But it's like a lot of things. You know, you get kids trained. we got a major in something in school. But when we come out of school, you know, we really don't know anything practical, right? That's true. So. But I think a lot of the universities are trying to change that with internships, at least to give them a yes. little bit more of what's the reality. And and uh, I know uh, I'm glad I did an internship in college because I changed my career because of it. Yeah. No, I not, yeah, my daughter went to Northeastern University, which is famous for their uh, extended internships they do with their undergraduates. And yeah, absolutely. People can do that in sales. It makes a big difference. You really know what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. So... Getting back to your book, Conversations That Sell, mm-hmm. I mean, you're a big proponent of this collaborative selling, and it sounds pretty straightforward on one hand, you think, right? But think. if it were so easy, everyone would be doing it, and you wouldn't be talking about it. So explain what you mean with the collaborative sell, because I think there's more to it than what people think, and really how you start changing a culture to sort of think that way within a sales team. You know, I I do think it sounds easy, but it takes real expertise to be a collaborative salesperson. Um, and and the the difference, the nuance that that I discovered in watching you know hundreds and thousands of salespeople over twenty five years, is that the best ones, the best salespeople, really were engaged with their buyers in a in a way that was different, and and they they took consultative selling to a new level. So, you know, when people think of consultative selling, it's, it's really good. And I, I taught it for years, mm-hmm. you know, that we need to uh, connect with the person. We need to identify their needs. Then we need to tell them how we can fix that. And then we need to ask for the decision, you know, uh, but that we lead with questions. Okay. That's, you know, the big thing, but that also we're the expert. And so, you know, they need us. We, we need to bring in our expertise to help them. And that through the internet's you know, uh, overload of information that everyone has now, I think buyers are more discerning now. Uh, they know more than buyers did 20 years ago about anything they want to. Mm-hmm. And so salespeople still need to be the expert, but they have to use their expertise expertly. Okay. So, go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, and what I mean by that is I can't just go in and assume I know a lot more than them. I have to go in and and find out what they already know. And I need to to not waste their time with what they already know. And I need to be able to, in that moment, adjust and give them what they need and to then collaborate and work with them to, to get to you know, how we can help them with whatever their problem, opportunity, want, or need is. 
So you talk and about it takes a skill. It does take a skill, but it takes expertise. You talked about as well. I mean, the expertise is more than questioning expertise. You know, what you might consider the sales skills expertise. But in my mind, for somebody to be truly a consultant, is they need to have expertise in a subject matter as well. And that subject matter could be, hey, the specific industry that I sell to, that my customers are primarily in, or it could be around the technology, product, service category that I'm selling. But they need to bring something more. Mm-hmm. I agree. And, but they but they have to go not go in as the know it all. You know, you know, you need to know more, but you need to be able to work with that buyer where they're at. Mm-hmm. Um, and honor the information, the expertise, the experience they have, the information they have. Yeah, so I think that one maybe one of the things that, that we don't do when we talk about collaborative selling and consultative selling is take that sort of last logical step to say that, gee, Mr. Sales Rep, you know, given this baseline of knowledge that you have that you can help the prospect with, is think of yourself actually as a consultant. Because then your your mindset becomes starts becoming a little bit different, right? Because then a little more a consultant is much more of a service than selling per se, right? So how's that? What's that next logical step you can take to have somebody think about themselves really as a consultant to their prospects? Well, I mean, I think I think it's being that consultant that knows their stuff. And the key is being able to right-size how you use it in each conversation and opportunity. Okay. So to me, that's that's being a collaborative consultant because you're, you are an expert, but you don't need to lead with your expertise. Instead, you need to, you know, use it along with what their expertise is. And it's a nuance. It's this little nuance that I observed over and over again. Um, and to equip them to do that, we need to be skilled enough. We need to be knowledgeable enough so that we can flex in each conversation for the back and forth that happens in a conversation versus going in and being really prepared to pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to make it interactive. Yeah, and I think one of the things that, that I see, and another guest I spoke to recently sort of triggered this, well, it didn't trigger the thought, but but made it more clear and, and when he and I were discussing this, is that you can't go in with a predetermined outcome in mind. Mm. Right? If you're a seller, if you're a salesperson, if you're you know, a business owner or a sales leader and you're Hearing this conversation is a you know, key thought for your salespeople is you can't go in with the outcome in mind. I mean, if you're truly being collaborative, then you don't know what that out and the outcome meaning really the solution for the customer, right? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily the outcome I'm getting an order or not, but the outcome in terms of what what the best solution is going to be for the for the customer. Mm-hmm. If you can't can't go in with that in mind. You really have to be open because that is. That's the basis for collaboration. This this other guest I spoke with talked about the term, which I think applies really neatly with what you talk about. He talked about co-creation. Well, that's, 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 a, mm-hmm. that's what they talk about with, is together we're creating the solution. Right. You know, and it's, it's interesting because I'll do that with, uh, with buyers and I'll say, well, let's, you know, spec out some of the options on how this would be addressed. I, I, I don't 
you know, go off and create the, you know, proposal recommendation and, and pass it back. It's always a discussion. Um, and I have to be, again, knowledgeable and skilled to be able to know what the potential options are. But when we sit and, and, um, and, and do that either virtually or, or literally side by side, the buy-in is so much stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so absolutely. Yeah. You scared me at first when you said the outcome because I believe very much in being prepared for the objective of your meeting, right. you know, and knowing where you want to go. But when you say outcome as far as what is going to be the right solution for that person, company situation, absolutely. We need to have some things in mind, but we need to be open through what we learn to co-create. I like that term. Yeah, I'm Fortunately, that guest is in Europe. I think we're going to start using the term more and more because it's it's really good um, in the way it describes the process that you want to try to to undertake. So it seems to me that one of the real barriers to this consultative, true consultative selling, in the sense that we've been talking about the collaborative selling with this expertise, is that it seems like there's you know just a sort of thin strata of sales reps that can really step up to that bar. And so what do you do to, to be able to scale this, right? If you're an organization, you're trying to adopt the sales model, which makes huge sense for so many marketplaces. How do you scale that? Well, with the people that you have, you need to train them. And then going forward, you need to, you know, select people that can take that approach. Um, so we need to, you know, in the training, uh, I had a huge debate with another consultant last week about this. Uh, I, I don't believe in word-for-word -word scripting. Uh, I think that word-for-word -word scripting can be um, very limiting and not let that person flex. Because if we don't teach them how to think and problem-solve, and we just teach them how to present this or ask these questions, that they're not going to be able to be a collaborative salesperson. Is that and something so, that is that can that be taught though really for you know people are more mature in life as opposed to you know kids in school learning critical thinking skills is you know do you have success training sales reps to you know be able to be more open minded think as you said be more we, deliberate yeah we do I, one of my big successes in the last month is a man that's sixty two years old he's a couple years from retirement. And earlier this year, when we were getting started with his company, he let me know very clearly that he was a few years away from retirement and he didn't really think there was anything he needed to do different, you know, et cetera. And I, I, I suggested that, you know, there's been other people that think that and that I, I gave him an example of someone who uh, told me that, you know what, I don't need to be... Uh, connecting each time with somebody and asking them questions. I show up every month. They know the business we're doing. They give me their order and I'm out of there. <laughs> and and that, you know, another person similar to him years earlier had found, he, he, he said, you know what though? I will, I will try this. I will try some things different. And that he, three weeks later, you know, came to the group, uh, weekly group session and just said, I'm totally humbled by what I learned by slowing down and connecting with my ongoing customers more. Mm -hmm. And he had found out that one of his customers' wives had died 15 months earlier, meaning that he saw the guy 15 times since then. 
And never knew. No idea. Right. And so, so this other guy this year, his name is Gary. Gary, you know, he heard the story and then he, he called me weeks later to tell me that, all right, I, 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 I thought, you know what, I'm going to give her a shot. You know, this is before we even started. I'm going to give her a shot and see like, you know, and he had some very similar results. And he even found out that one of his customers was thinking of moving their location to another state. But when he was so focused on just getting the business done and not doing ongoing collaboration with in consultation with his existing customers, he was in danger of losing business and not even knowing it. So he's 63 years old. So my point is, once they're open, can they learn it? Absolutely. And I think that one of the key ways of, of um, doing this is to give people frameworks to operate within and help them make it their own. Mm -hmm. um, because we need, we can, you know, we need to all be looking for how, you know, others' best practices to shorten our learning curve. Right. Um, so we need to adopt best practices, but then we have to adapt them and make them ours. Because, you know, I mean, Andy, you're a great salesperson, but I couldn't use the exact words you do and come off uh, trustworthy. Yeah, no, it has to be authentic, right, to yourself, for sure. Exactly. So I think that by, by giving people frameworks through what a good sales conversation is and the preparation for it, it allows them to know why certain parts of the conversation need to be a certain way. And then when in a conversation, if based on the response I get from the prospect or buyer, my brain knows three or four different avenues to go versus if I'm scripted and they go off script, then I'm not sure maybe the why beneath I'm, why I'm doing these things. Yeah, no, absolutely, because it's really the important thing for people to understand. It's not the first question you ask. It's the question you ask in response to their answer. That's the important question. So, you know, if you, true. Yeah, so if you're so fixated on being scripted, as you talk about, if you get an answer that's different than the one you expect, you're going to be lost. Exactly. So you have to be present in the moment. You have to be paying attention. You have to listen and as you said, really be looking at it from a collaborative standpoint. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. My guest today, Nancy Blakey, and we'll be right back in just a minute. Attention, sales leaders. Would you like to give your sales team the tools to drive more quality connects, scale their outreach, and spend more time selling? Well, you can with LiveHive. Get your ROI. Try it now at livehive.com forward slash ROI. That's Livehive, L-I-V-E-H-I-V-E dot com forward slash R-O-I. Welcome back. My guest today is Nancy Blakey, author of Conversations That Sell and a Wisconsin Badger. Go Badgers? Go okay. Badgers. So uh, one thing I want to get into is I really like your four-point investigation. You know, this is really sort of classic gap analysis used for the discovery call. And talk about that a little bit. Because you talked about frameworks. To me, that was a really interesting framework for engaging the customer in terms of identifying what their issues are, what their objectives are, and so on. Mm -hmm. It is. It's, it's a framework for you know asking your questions. So it's making sure that we know what where they want to go, what's going on today, 
And then the key is to getting into the emotional aspects that will help make the decision is the risk and reward questions. You know, finding out what are they concerned, the risks that they foresee if they do something different, and also what are the risks if they don't do it. And mm-hmm. I don't think that we explore that enough as salespeople because, you know, they'll, you know you, I'm sure you've heard, Andy, that our biggest competition is doing nothing. Yes. status quo. Yes. So, you know, getting them to verbalize, you know, what's going to happen if they stay the same. Um, and then also the reward. I mean, the reward, I think that those are the questions people think are the duh questions. Like, well, everyone knows what the benefits are going to be, but we can't assume that our buyers have given that that much thought. And and that the more we can get those rewards down to the, the most personal level we can, the more we're going to understand the buying triggers and the emotions that are going to move them forward. Mm-hmm. I and agree. So, so that's that's what the four point is today and tomorrow, risk and reward. Um, and I, I laugh depending on the person, you know, in your conversation, some people will jump right away to what they want to have happen. And other people are really stuck on what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. And and we by having a framework, we know then once we address one piece of information, what else do we need to learn and ask about and make sure that those four points are covered before we start talking about a solution. Yeah, because I think the one thing that you see with customers and, and people, they're just humans like everybody else, right? Is mm-hmm. that they can set a goal. Look, this is where we want to be in the business 12 months from now or 18 months from now. And this is where we are today. But they don't really have the plan from today to tomorrow, mm-hmm. right? Right. And that that is the opportunity right there. Right. And the risk and reward. And the risk and reward. And and understanding that too, because if the risks in their mind outweigh the reward, we're not going to get them to move. So we have to help that be compelling enough or identify whether it is compelling enough in qualifying them and knowing where to spend our time and energy. Well, I think helping them identify the risks because they're going to have an intuitive sort of gut reaction just based on their own set of experiences, what the risk is. Mm-hmm. But it's as important to help people understand the risks as the value. Because mm-hmm. it's to your point, right? They, may, they won't make the decision because their perception of the risks involved. So you have to try to minimize their perception of what the risk is. And part of that is through education. That's part of your sales job. It's not to avoid discussion of the risk. It's actually to be proactive discussing the risks. Well, and, and, the, and topped off with also then discussing, in their viewpoint, the potential rewards. So, you know, what are, what are the benefits, not in its education, but it's also discovery and helping them discover the real rewards that they're going to get. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people always are stuck on, well, you're going to get an ROI or you're going to have a savings in this or you're going to increase this and decrease that. And, and it's often much deeper than that for certain people. They, they, they're, they want to save their job. They want to look good. Um, it's all of those emotional components that really come into play when it's time to make a decision. And if, if we don't learn those, then we can't help them stack those risks and rewards against each other. Okay, so here's a loaded question for you. Because I agree with you on the emotional element. Is, and part of when you're, you know, and I think you're involved with the Women Sales Pros organization and so on. Yes. is 
you know, questions, I think Jill Conrath asked the question, you know, are, you want to sell like a girl, are women better natural salespeople than, than men? And is, and I just think that men are less in tune to other people's emotions than women are in general. And so is that a case where women are better salespeople than men? I think it depends on the woman. <laughs> it depends on the man. I don't like to have broad stereotypes like that because I think it's really individual. I know some men that are way more emotionally tuned in than some women I know. Um, so in generalities, I, I think, uh, you know, different people are, are more in tune. And that's why a framework like Today, Tomorrow, Risk, Reward is so helpful in teaching people because they don't have to think about emotions. They're thinking about risks and rewards and, and they can do that in a business environment and not get stuck on, Ugh, I'm that's too touchy feely. I'm not going there. <laughs> well, and I, I sort of asked that question because I think what too many sales reps forget, and it's not, you know, this is not based on gender. It's just sales reps in general is that they're talking to people. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> and, and that it's, you know, I've been writing a blog post. I haven't published it yet, but uh, I said, you know, what what do you do when your number turns into a person? And you know, people are so fixated on the numbers these days, and you know, it's part of the trend we're seeing in sales. Is is certainly with the growth of inside sales, it's you know, very metrics driven as it should be. But for some people, I think they take it too far, and they lose that effect. They're actually selling to a person on the other end. Yes, and, just had this discussion with Ashley Becker from. Uh, AAISP. Mm -hmm. The other night, we had our first chapter meeting for Wisconsin, and and I said to her, you know, sometimes I wonder uh, if if this focus on having productive sales conversations is, you know, lost to the inside sales worlds that are so now it's about the technology to get this, and it's about the metrics, and it's and that are we losing the human component that hey, once all of that technology works and you get a, someone on the phone, it's it's a person. <laughs> yeah, it still is. Yeah, it's still a person. Still a person that you got to talk to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at some point in some markets, that's changing. But hey, yeah, it's uh, I know Gartner Group and others are doing research on you know what happens when things become customers because of through of automation. But that's a whole different sales process, and that'll be a different show we can talk about at some point. So sounds good. All right, so I've got some rapid fire questions for you that I always wrap up the show with and I know you're looking forward to these. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, she says. So, you can give one-word answers, you can elaborate as much as you want. Totally up to you. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So, what's the most powerful sales tool in your arsenal? Right now, it is the Charlie app. It gives me a briefing every morning on who I have appointments with. Okay. So is there one tool you use for sales, your own personal sales management, in addition to that, that you just can't live without? Infusionsoft. Okay. And who's your sales role model? You know, that changes, you know, as you go along in your sure. career. So right now, my sales role model is Trish Bertuzzi of The Bridge Group. Okay. And why? Because she is a very disciplined salesperson, and she runs a company just like I do, uh, but she is very disciplined in her sales 
time. Mm-hmm. And she says nothing gets in the way. And her business has just grown so much uh, these last couple of years because of that discipline. What's the one book every salesperson should read? Conversations itself. Of course. <laughs> in addition to that one. In addition to that one. It doesn't even have to be a sales book. Yeah, I'm thinking. Hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at my bookshelf to make sure I have the name. I think it's, is it just called Drive? I'm going to say everybody should read No More Called Calling by Joanne Black. Okay, that's good. Mm-hmm. I like Joanne's book. Mm-hmm. And for people that haven't heard of it, those listening to it, it's, it's really about how you use referrals to build up your base of new prospects as opposed to cold calling. Very yes. important to integrate and the, that. Yeah, and the process that it, it that she walks you through to do it is so powerful, I think, for understanding the value that you bring um, and being able to uh, articulate you know, articulate that and, and have conviction in it yourself. So I think the process of it is really good. Yes. Well, I think one of the key things in that process, without digressing too much, is that when you ask for referrals, is you can't assume that people know what it is, A, that you do, and B, what you're asking for a referral for. So you yeah. need to be very clear. As you said, articulate that quite clearly for them. Yes. So what's your favorite music to listen to when you're psyching yourself up for an important meeting? I still love the 80s. I actually listen to the Bee Gees. <laughs> the Bee Gees. There we go. That's, that's I, good. I, I have them on my iPod or my phone, and I listen to the Bee Gees. It's fast music. Nothing wrong with that. Okay. Staying alive. Yes. What's the first sales activity you do every day? I plan my day. I look at my Charlie app uh, debriefs. Okay. Last question. The one thing you get asked most frequently by salespeople is? It's a lot of how. How do you do this? Okay. Like, how do you? It can be, you know, how do I pick up the phone? How do... I'm thinking of just this week. You mm-hmm. know? Uh, today, this morning, it was, how do I ask for that decision? You know, they wanted... They wanted confirmation mm-hmm. you know and how 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 do i ask so it, it's a lot of specific how to's how this how that that's what i hear most often and to the question so i asked how do they ask for the order what did you say i said it all depends on how the conversation went and then you need to ask for a specific commitment or decision so right. you don't say do you want to buy you <laughs> say you know are are we ready to get this scheduled in their case and and in their case as well it would be um when do you want delivery? Right. It's a different question than do you want to buy? Right. Yeah, it's an assumptive clause. Mm-hmm. I like it. Very cool. Well, good. Well, Nancy, thank you so much for your time. It's been great talking to you. I want to thank today's I... guest, Nancy Blakey, author of Conversations That Sell, and as a consultant coach. Nancy, tell people how they can learn more about you. You can visit our website at salesproinsider.com. You can call me. 414-235-3064 or email me at nancy at salesproinsider.com. Excellent. Sign up for our newsletter. Yeah, sign up for a newsletter. And if you missed that, you can listen to it again or come to my website, andypaul.com. We'll have more information on Nancy's show page when this Thank episode so is produced. Much.
Thank yeah, you for the conversation, Andy. I appreciate uh, hearing your perspective on consultative and collaborative conversations. Yeah, it was a good talk. So people are listening today. Remember, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate the growth of your business. Now, subscribing to this podcast is certainly an easy way to do that. You can make sure then you don't miss any of our conversations with sales experts like today's guest, Nancy Blakey, who share their experience and wisdom about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.